0: this week at Hope Point, purpose of the Bible is point us to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the only person, the only man who was ever perfectly courageous, perfectly loving, perfectly just, and who offered His sinless body on the cross so that we could be forgiven of not being loving, just, and courageous, so that He could indwell us, so that for the, our remaining days on earth, We would honor Him, we would represent Him to the world, we would wait for Him in obedience, in courage and love and justice, until He comes and makes all things new with a new heaven and a new earth. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's Holy Word. So over the past you know, few weeks, or really a great deal of the summer, we've been looking at the importance of the Bible, not because I said it's important, but because the Apostle Paul told us that you know, what you're engaged in in life is really not just a, a series of bad days or bad thoughts, but what you're engaged in is really a spiritual assault against your mind. And you can only handle that assault by filling it with the thoughts of God this is what Paul sort of said in Ephesians 6. Our struggle is against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put, put on the full armor of God, and one of the pieces of armor is the Bible. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Several weeks ago, I was here uh, on maybe, a, I don't know, maybe a Thursday morning, Wednesday morning, I guess, uh, f- and the, the students were returning from camp. Uh, Dylan's students and Dylan and I are wearing the same color shirt today, which is just wonderful. And um, so they walked into uh, the parking lot and they looked so dazed. I thought, you know, one of two things: either they've been on drugs for five days, or they have been at camp without sleep for five days. And the latter was the truth. But one of the students on the on the way out showed me a, a copy of the Bible he had used. Maybe at camp, or maybe that's his Bible forever. And I love it because it had imprinted on the leather a uh, picture of a sword, which is the great, greatest way to understand the Bible, that through the promises and commands of the Bible, <clears throat> that's how we chop off the head of the one who slithers into our life and presents lies to us that cause us to doubt God and even disobey God. Some of you wonder why the Christian life is so difficult. Is because you're going into battle with a pocket knife instead of a sword. One of my favorite memories of a wedding, I think around 12 years ago, I did for Gary and Stephanie. They both attended Wofford. We just love all of the students that God brings to us from all of the colleges here. Uh, But uh, they were at Wofford. He was a linebacker, and and, um, we... um, Did the wedding, and it's interesting that he gave all his groomsmen for being in the wedding, he gave them a sword, you know, instead of like a cheap little tacky letter opener that you often get when you're in somebody's wedding. Gave them a sword in reference to the sword of the Spirit, telling his men, don't leave college without immersing yourself forever in the Word of God. And the things that those men have faced, and he especially and Stephanie have faced, they have faced only because of, of holding the Bible. Not, not, not just a, a casual acquaintance with the Bible, but deep, intimate acquaintance with the Bible, the kind that we saw a few weeks ago in Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. So ever since we've been looking at this aspect of spiritual armor, the Bible, it's been interesting for to have discussions with you all about how you read it. One man told me a few weeks ago that he, he reads 10 chapters every day. And uh, not 10 different chapters, but five. And then he rereads those five again. He said... I read five the first time, and then I sort of wake up, and then I reread them, then I understand really what they're about. That's how he meditates. I talked with um, a woman uh, just really uh, maybe a week and a half ago. Uh, She said that um, when she reads in the morning, she might find a Bible verse that in the course of her day, when she begins to doubt uh, and be discouraged about the things that she's facing in her life and her family's life. She says she may repeat that Bible verse twenty times in in, in that day. Now that's these are examples of of what it means to meditate on Scripture. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said, "The reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire." of meditation. We felt just a little bit of cold this morning. I was out early this morning in our back patio just touching up, marking up my sermon. I just felt so good to be a little bit, feel a little cold. And we know real cold is coming, can't wait. It feels so good. to Cold days, cold nights, and you come in and you stand by the fire. And I I, I tried to build Lisa a fire, just something I do, not bragging, build Lisa a fire every night. Turning on the gas logs and um, I love, I, I, really, I really love our gas logs when our grandson is there because I'll say, well, so I go, one, two, three, poof. And all of a sudden, you know, I got the remote and they, and they turn on and he just thinks I'm unbelievable. I could do that. But you know, when you're cold, you, you, you don't just pass by a fire, you get to stand by it and let it warm you up. Just rush quickly. the fires have no benefit to you. You can imagine if you somebody invited you over for somebody invited you over for, for tea, and you know, they, get, they had some hot water and a cup, and then they put a tea bag in it and put it in there for about three seconds and said, "Here you go." And like it, would, it, would, it would mean nothing to you because it, 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 you didn't let it seep. It didn't meditate. It didn't stay, it didn't pause in the, in, the, in the water. And unfortunately, that's how many people read the Bible. They just got in this habit of saying, I've got to read four chapters today. And they, they, they read four chapters and they're just flying instead of stopping and pausing. And Because I don't think they maybe they don't understand that the purpose of all Bible reading is to increase your affection for God. That's the only reason he gave us the book. You're going to get a lot of information when you read it. But the purpose of all information is to increase affection. That you would love him more, trust him more, believe him more, be persuaded to choose him more over over sin. The the, the way that you know you're, you're reading the Bible is that you're, as you're, affections increase for him, you're making adjustments in your your life. The affection leads to the adjustments. It doesn't matter whether you read five chapters a day or five verses a day. Is it increasing my affection for God? Now, two weeks ago, when I brought up this concept of meditation. I had some, some college students um, ask me if I would say a little bit more about meditation. Because, you know, it could be like, mmm, that kind of, What what do I, how, really, they really want, how do I meditate? And so, really, I'd like to thank the studio audience for submitting questions. And this whole sermon is in response to That single question, and this is how I have grown in meditation, biblical meditation, through the years. And again, I want to tell you, as I'll tell you a zillion times today, everything I'm telling you today is on the sermon notes page of of of, of the website for today. So so I'm gonna say that again. So enjoy, because I'm talking fast. Number one, mark up your Bible as you read. For me, that has been very helpful through the years. If you looked at my Bible now, or any of the Bibles I've had through the years, they're just all sorts of colors, all sorts of squares, boxes, arrows, circles, and they don't always necessarily have a specific meaning. Sometimes I might underline a a warning in black. I might underline uh, a promise of growth or coming back to God in green or something, if I'm reading about Jesus or God being very kingly, I might do it in purple. It doesn't really matter. What matters is those colors, those boxes, those arrows make me stop and read very slowly. And so it doesn't matter if you don't know much about the Bible. It doesn't matter if you, you know, when you're reading, just find words that are interesting to you, like, they mean something to your mind and your heart, and when you circle them, you can sort of use those as a springboard, a diving board, to get to God and to say something to him about that. Like, that's cool, God. That's like that's how I read the Bible and pray. Like, that's, wow. That's, you're big. You You are wise, or you're merciful. I just say that to him because of what I circled. So, that's just... Use your Bible and use pens and colors to do that to help you be able to talk to God as you find things that are meaningful in the verses. Number two, ask questions as you read. Now, this is going to seem a little mechanical at first. That pick up the Bible. I've got to remember these six questions. Um, you know, there's something that, that uh, athletes uh, refer to as, as, as muscle memory. Uh, it's like, like, when, like when a baseball player is, is learning, you know, is perfecting his swing, you know, he's, he's thinking about all sorts of things and where he wants that bat head to be uh, when it, during those 700 milliseconds that he has to make a decision whether to hit the ball or not. So he's thinking about lots of things and he thinks about all those things in practice, but there's gonna come a day where he doesn't even have to think. It's his, his muscles remember that is the same with a golfer and a golf swing. Remember, so there will come a day where this won't sound so mechanical, but it may feel a little mechanical right now to be thinking about these questions. Now, before I give you the questions, special announcement for the Type A people. Every help that Richard mentions today is included in the sermon notes section of the website. So don't freak out if he talks faster than you can write. So I, I probably have uploaded... I didn't upload it. I wrote them, but I don't know how to get them to the website. That's what Dean does, among so many other things. But so we got five documents that I mentioned here today, and they're all on the sermon notes. Uh, so, so if you don't get, I'm gonna fly through these questions, they're there, I promise, on the website. Does this text reveal something I should believe about God? Does this text reveal something I should praise or thank God for? Does this text reveal something I should pray about for myself or for others? Does this text reveal something I should have a new attitude about? Does this text reveal something I should make a decision about? Does this text reveal something I should do for the sake of Christ, others, or myself? And again, these questions will come very spontaneously to you in a very short time, but not bad to print them out when you're first reading the Bible. Number three, think about Bible stories and Bible statements differently. This is a massive oversimplification of what I'm about to say. So don't come to me at the end of the stage and say, do you really think that's all the That's the only types of writings in the Bible? No. But in general, the Bible is really, it's a matter, it's either stories or statements. And you really need to know how to approach a story and what to ask and look for in the story and what to look for in a series of statements. And they're a little bit different, but the way you approach a story and a statement in the Bible will determine what you get out of it. So so think about when you're reading a Bible story... You ask, what are the key events in this story? And the reason that you know it's a key event is because when this thing happened, the story changed. It took a different turn. That was a key event. So you say, okay, what can I learn about that key event? What was happening in that key event? And normally, what happened with that key event has something to do either with God or man. So here's a question to ask about God. Is this story teaching me about God or man, because the way that it turned out. And here's the question to ask about God. Is this key event that happened in this story, is it teaching me something about God's character and his purposes and the ways that he acts in our life? So we won't be surprised by the ways he acts in our life. So most questions about God, I can learn about his character, his purposes for my life, what should I do? I shall live in his ways, so I won't be surprised. If the story is not about God so much, but it focuses more, the key event is because of the way that man responded to God. Then you want to ask questions about man's response. And and his response to God is he, he, he either was faithful or unfaithful to God. So you ask, you want to learn from the faithful people because... It turned out really well and beautiful, or it turned out beautiful. It may have been hard, but it turned out beautiful. So you want to ask questions about what does faithfulness to God look like in, in that person, that, that man or woman that responded to God? What does unfaithfulness look like, and how does that turn out? So I want to ask about faithfulness, faithful people, or unfaithful people. So those are sort of how you approach um stories in the Bible. But the other half of the Bible is statements. And there are ways to really enjoy statements um, in, in the Bible. So when you, you read, like, like in the New Testament, you know, like where we've been lately in Ephesians, a bunch of statements. So when you're reading statements in the Bible, let's say you're going to read four or five statements together, you just look for key words in those statements. And a lot of times those words will be because they're repeated or it's a key word because if you took that word out, the whole sentence falls apart. Like it's no fun. It has no meaning. It's, it loses its oomph because you took that word out. That would be a key word. So when you're looking for statements, then the you know the first thing you're always asking about a statement is the what of the statement. What is it telling me is what is this what am i reading is this a command is this a warning is this a promise so you always start like when you're reading the what i'm just amazed i don't want to sound critical i'm just amazed of how many because when you're reading the bible you don't go looking for you know the what of what you wish was there you just what is there just amazing how many guys teach the bible and they may say things that are true or something like they may say something that's right but it's it's not in the text so the what is i'm looking at what has god said not what i want him to say or wish he had said and the what is often a command a promise or warning and then In addition to the what, there are other friends. And these are all your best friends when you're reading statements. What, why, how, when, and where. You learn how to ask these questions when reading the statements portion of the Bible. And it's amazing how much will just come to life uh, like a command. Let's say, what is this? Oh, that's a command. So that's the what. Then you can ask, like, why? Why should I obey this command? If you ask that question, why, and look around in the neighborhood of right after or before the what, you'll find the why. Why should I obey this command? It's right there. The answer is, this is what happens. This is the blessing that comes from obeying that command. Uh, Or if it's a promise, like, oh, what? What is this? Oh, it's a promise. Uh... When should I obey this promise? It'll be right there, right right close by. It'll say, like, when you're afraid, when you're tempted, when you're uncertain, it'll be right there. So those are very, very helpful. So let me just give you a quick example of how this looks in the passage that we'll look at next week on that final piece of armor prayer. So let me just read it. Next week is the sermon. This is sort of like how you think about it. Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So I got to do the same thing you do you know, like, what is this about? I ask the what. Well, I'm looking at, wow. Prayer is mentioned there. I'm looking at these words that's mentioned all the time. Prayer, prayer. And then I look at, there's one other, I think. You know, obviously, oh, Okay, so I'm reading statements, and I'm looking for words that are repeated. I've got four on prayer. This thing must be about prayer. That's less... So it doesn't matter like, if, if I'm preaching this, I can't preach a sermon on we ought to do good. That's a good thing to say someday, but not from here. This is, you ought to pray. This is about, that's what this is about. This is the what. So, so it's about prayer. And this is a little unfair, but not that hard. When I read that over and over again, I know the what. And I'm looking for this. I'm looking for all the commands that are there. And there's really, there's three of them. You just say, this is what you want to look for. What am I commanded to do? And if you could do that this afternoon. He says it three times, three different commands. Pray, pray for all the Lord's people and pray for those who teach you. Just that's in there. So that's what I got to say next week. I don't have a choice. That's the What? But then when you come back to that, and then you start asking, so we know the what is pray. So then you say, how do I pray? And we're going to see next week, you pray by praying in the spirit. That's, that's the, that's by, I got that by asking how, how do I pray in the spirit? You said, what does that mean? Come back next week. (laughs) Uh, Then I'm asking my question, my friends. I give them my friends. Remember my how, when, when, why, and where? So then I ask when. When should I pray? And I look, all occasions. So that just tells me, like God really sees the normal Christian life as having lots of praying. All occasions. Talk more about that next week. And then I might ask, why? Why should I pray? You know, so why? And I'm for me, I'll just find this uh, here. When I ask why of this text, why pray? So that your preacher will not be a coward. So your preacher will not give into depression and quit. So your preacher will have words that thrill your heart about Jesus. Why pray? So you just get that by just asking questions and the text becomes alive. So the fourth thing that I've learned about proper biblical meditation or how to get, is is to take advantage of free resources on the web. And again, this is on, believe it or not, the sermon website notes section for today. You don't have to even know this website. I love this guy because what he does, when you read his website, he lists the five best free websites for helping you understand the Bible. It's just, it's like, he's already done the work. So that website really leads you to five and, and more. I remember many years ago, I was at a conference at Ridgecrest up in Black Mountain, and John Piper was speaking for like five or six sessions Before he was really like, you know, really, really, you know, sort of global John Piper. And so we had access to him during the day. And I asked him, uh, one, one day we're walking up the hill. I said, Dr. Piper, do I need any more education? And he looked at me and he said, are you a disciplined person? I said, Well, yes, uh, everything except cleaning out my truck. And uh, I thought it was funnier than he did. So anyway, um, so he said, okay, if you're disciplined, then you do not need any more education because through the web, you have access to all the libraries of the world. So you determine how deep you want to go in the, in the Bible because you've, you've got all the, all the answers, all the libraries that anybody could ever want just through the web. Five final point of how I get something out of the Bible. And I've told you before how that happened with me, how I got a grasp early on of what the Bible was about. Cliff notes, truly. Um, But sometimes it's just like, for instance, when you're watching a movie, there sometimes, like when Lisa and I are watching a movie, I just want to watch the movie. It's like, I want to be surprised. Lisa pulls out her phone at the beginning of the movie to read about what's happening. Drives me crazy. And I'm like, you know, we're about to find out then please don't tell me what's happening. And she just likes to know what it's about because then it means more to her. So a lot of times, if you know a little bit about the basic gist of the Bible, it just means more anywhere you read because then it doesn't matter if you can't pronounce the names of the people or the places or the cities and, and the events because you understand the primary purpose of the Bible is... God calling a people out of this world to respond to his love. That's the story of the Bible. There's no doubt about the other, the, the other direction. God so loved the world. That's clear. What's unclear is whether or not we will reciprocate God's love. And so the whole purpose of the Bible is God trying to draw people out of the world to believe that he is more satisfying than anything else in the world, to love him in return, because that's where joy is found, in loving God back, to love him more than anything else. So there are two ways to sort of get, so that's the real broad understanding of the Bible. The whole thing is about God pulling, drawing people out of the world to love him in return because the rest of the world does not, the rest of the world does not think God is worthy to be loved and obeyed. So I'm going to give you a little bit deeper overview of the Bible, but I'm not going to give you the deepest, but but both of them that I'm about to give you are on the sermon notes section of the website. One of them is a 25-page, fill-in-the-blank, answers provided, of the basic theme of every book of the Bible. And it's just, have at it, so I'm not going to do that, it's too long, but I am going to tell you the basic gist of the Bible now. The story of the Bible is the story of God calling people to follow him. Because you're only going to follow one of two people in the world. You're either going to follow the living God or you're going to follow an idol that's manufactured either by Satan, the world, or your idol-making heart. Only two people to follow in life, God or an idol. If you're reading the first two-thirds of the Bible, you're reading in the Old Testament where God is attempting to persuade a group of people to follow him and he's primarily dealing with ethnic Israel. Same thing, though, in ethnic Israel, he's trying to compel people to follow him. The last third of the Bible is we call it the New Testament, and it is primarily God calling uh, the rest of the world uh, through the teaching in the church, the rest of the world, to follow him versus the idols of the world. And the person that links the old and the New Testament is Jesus Christ. You could say it like this. The Old Testament is the story of a nation. The New Testament is the story of a man. The purpose of the nation was to bring the man into the world because through the man, God is going to do his most compelling calling of people to follow him. Now I want to tell you what you love to hear, what we love to sing, what we're about to sing about, the man. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ left heaven, became a human. At age 30, he began to announce and declare to the world that he is the Messiah, the only man that God has ever appointed to be the Savior of the world, to save the world from sin. Jesus saved the world from sin by offering his body into the hands of his enemies. His enemies hated him because he told them they needed to be saved from sin and they hated him because he said, I'm the only one who can save you from sin. So they crucified him. This was the plan of God because when Jesus suffered on the cross in his dying body, God placed all of the sins of the world and Jesus offered his body as a sacrifice So that everyone's sins in this room who believes in Christ would be forgiven because they were punished in Christ. Jesus proved that all of his claims to be the Messiah were trustworthy because he rose from the dead. And he's the one and only person who has ever risen from the dead never to die again. So the purpose of all that God has done in the Bible is to point to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why the Bible was written, and no other reason. Three years ago, there was a baptism service at one of the uh, one of the fastest growing false churches in the states, in, in the world, really, and it was a baptism service and. I didn't see all of the people that were baptized, but the ones that I did see, when they were asked by the pastor, why are you being baptized? It wasn't about Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. There were odd answers. This is the oddest. The pastor asks, why are you being baptized? Then the woman speaks, hi. I'm Crystal, I just know that God is calling me to be a warrior for his animal kingdom and that I'm to lead an army of angels to protect animals across the world and I know I can't do it without God. So that's why she's being baptized. And to that comment, the pastor responded to the church, give Crystal a round of applause, that's amazing. Nope, I'll tell you what is amazing. Is that pastor did not understand that the main purpose of baptism is to celebrate the main person of the Bible who solved the main problem in the world sin The greatest problem in the world is not racism It's not poverty and it's not crime The greatest problem in the world is that we who have been created by God and have our very next breath from God do not believe that God is worthy of our devotion and obedience. And as a result of that poor choice and repeated set of choices, yes, racism, poverty, and crime are rampant in the world. But they came because of the first Issue our rebellion against God. So Jesus came to forgive us of our rebellion and to give us a heart to love and serve God and that is all that the Bible is about and nothing else. There are many great stories in the Bible. Stories of courage. Stories of love. Stories of justice. And it's a very good thing to want to be a courageous person and a loving person And a person of justice. But there's not enough willingness in your heart or in the hearts of the whole world. None of us are willing to be loving enough, just enough, and courageous enough that we're really going to change the world. We just simply won't do it. So that's not ultimately what the Bible is calling us to do, because we won't do it. Instead, the purpose of the Bible is point us to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the only person, the only man who was ever perfectly courageous, perfectly loving, perfectly just, and who offered his sinless body on the cross so that we could be forgiven of not being loving, just and courageous. So that he could indwell us, so that for the, our remaining days on earth, we would honor him. We would represent him to the world. We would wait for him in obedience, in courage and love and justice until he comes and makes all things new with a new heaven and a new earth. So the purpose of the whole Bible is to shine a spotlight on Jesus Christ. The reason we know that is that Jesus told us that. He said, it's all about me. That's what he said. This happened. He told us that on the day that he rose from the dead, he met with two of his followers. He met several, but this account is two of his followers. I don't know if it was like that afternoon, but just remember, he rose from the dead that morning. And now he's meeting with two of his followers. Luke 24, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So it's Sunday, Friday, they had seen the greatest prophet, the greatest teacher, the greatest miracle worker die the worst death that any human being has ever died that they knew of. And when he died, their hope died. That's what they're talking about. Now Jesus shows up. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus had something he wanted to teach them, and in order for them to learn it, they couldn't recognize it, so he disguised himself in some way. I don't know how he did that. I think it must be pretty easy for him to do things like that. So, as he always does, the way he teaches is by asking questions. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And their answer is one of my favorite answers in all of the Bible. They stood still, their faces downcast. They were sad boys. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I love this verse. Because these people are looking at Jesus Christ and saying, are you clueless? (laughs) They're they're saying that to Jesus. (laughs) Are you clueless about suffering? Are you clueless about what we're going through? Are you clueless about now what has happened in all the world because... Of this, or are you clueless? You ever said that to God? You ever said that to God where like He's standing right next to you as He promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you look at your pain and you shout to God, Are you clueless about my pain? They did. Well then Jesus teaches them by again asking them a question: What things? What you talking about? So they tell him, well, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So there's the key word, hoped. Nothing wrong with hoping that there is a king who will one day make everything right. Oh, nothing wrong with hoping in that. What is wrong is assuming that that king is going to behave like you think he will and like you want him to. Nothing wrong with hoping, a lot of wrong with assuming that you know how God will do his work. So there are two big things in that statement that Jesus, his answer, and here's here's his answer here. So he's answering their question. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are! How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken! Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning himself. So that's where he said, all of the Bible is about me. So Jesus made two big statements in this, in his answer. <laughs> Suffering comes before glory. Statement number one. <laughs> you, you've missed that. As a disciple, suffering comes before glory. Second thing he said is, from the beginning, God has had a plan and he's told us through all the writings of Scripture that through the suffering and the triumph of the Son of God, that's how God is going to bring hope to the world. In other words, Jesus said, everything in the Bible is about me. And until you understand that everything in the Bible is about Jesus, you'll never understand the Bible. So let me close with this. Jesus, he's the word of God in the beginning through whom God said, let there be light. He is Noah's ark that protects us from the flood of God's wrath He is the substitute lamb that spared Isaac his life and will spare our life as well. He is the rock that quenched the thirst of Israel and satisfies the longings of every person on earth. He is Joshua who leads us to the promised land when Moses' laws could not get us there. He is mighty David whose life is blameless and whose kingdom is unending. He is the slaughtered lamb in Isaiah, whose wounds bring us healing and life. He's the son of God who stands in the fire with Daniel's friends and prevents the fires of hell from hurting us. He is the loving husband in Hosea who pursues his unfaithful wife. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Everything is about him because everything you need is found in Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.